following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Hoare, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, April 24, 2022, on the basis of Revelation 1, verses 4 through 18. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. What do you do now? It's the question that every Olympian faces after their moment of glory that comes every four years. Think about it, all the years, the decades of training and preparation all for this moment, the years of blood, sweat, and tears. The media spotlight and hype, the anticipation, the buildup and the lead up to the events, and then finally that rush of pure adrenaline when the gun goes off, when the event is actually being competed for. But then it's over. The spotlight turns off. The hype, the media is gone. The rush of competition is gone. The adrenaline is gone. That moment, that glorious moment standing on the podium is just a memory in the past. What now? Once you've reached the top, right, the only place really to go down, the only place to go is really down from there. And it leads to something that people have called the post-Olympic blues or post-Olympic depression. Perhaps the most famous Olympian to go through this experience is America's own Michael Phelps. He talks candidly about his experience after the 2012 Olympics in London, where he won four gold medals and two silvers. And yet, after the Olympics were over, he suffered from severe depression. He locked himself in his hotel room for four days and four nights without eating or drinking, and he contemplated ending his own life. Eventually, this depression would lead to his DUI arrest two years later and his stint in rehab, all because he was searching for that high, searching for that Olympic glory again. Now, we don't have to be Olympic athletes to realize that letdowns are a part of life. They're a natural part of life that happens after major, major high points, major life events. For example, a long pregnancy, the anticipation, the buildup, baby shower, finally the birth of a child, now what do we do? A long engagement, a beautiful wedding, a wonderful honeymoon, now what? A long time at school, a long time studying, working hard in the classroom, finally you graduate, now what? Reality comes at us quickly, right? Things go down fast. How can we ever recapture that high? How can we ever go back to when things were so good? And that's where we find ourselves today, the week after Easter. Last week, we celebrated the highest high of the church year, right? Christ is risen. Christ kicks down the doors to death. He bursts out of the empty tomb. The stone is rolled away. But now what? Where do we go from here? How can we match the high of last week? What do we talk about now? But today, in the words that we heard from Revelation, in the visions and in the words of John the Apostle, Jesus tells us that just because Easter is over doesn't mean that his work for us is over too. Jesus' work, Jesus' resurrection is still ongoing. Easter might be over, but the good news for you and for me is just beginning. A little bit about the Apostle John. I think out of all of the Apostles, John is perhaps the most appealing He's the one that we would most want to be. He's the one that we'd want to swap places with. 
And I think there's a few good reasons for that. He was one of the core disciples in Jesus' inner circle. He saw all the best miracles of Jesus. He witnessed the transfiguration. He even sees Jesus on the cross. And as he notes in the gospel, he actually beats St. Peter to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. But maybe best of all, in my opinion, is the fact that John died a natural death. All the other disciples met a gruesome end, crucified, beheaded, died. They died in cruel and ugly ways. But John got off easy. But that's about where the easy life of John ends. As the last man standing out of all the disciples, John witnessed the boom of Christianity as the gospel raced across the Roman world. But then he also saw what happened afterwards as the believers, as the Christians were targeted and hunted by their enemies. He watched as his friends, the fellow disciples, were all killed off one by one. And in the years that followed, John watched as Christians were persecuted. He watched as they had their property and their homes confiscated. He watched as they were kicked out of their own families, kicked out of society, and left poor and alone in a wicked world. John watched as his fellow Christians began to doubt, as they began to lose faith, as they began to contemplate going back to their old lives, giving in to the world. He watched as Christians were losing their passion, losing their fire for their faith. Easter was beginning to feel like just a small blimp in the past. Where was Jesus now? And 50 years after John's run to the tomb with Peter on Easter Sunday morning, John himself had reached a new low. At the end of his life, John was sent off into exile to a small island on the Mediterranean called Patmos. And according to legend and tradition, he was holed up in a small cave, an old man at the end of his life just waiting to die. But here, at the end of his life, at this very low point of his life, John wrote the book of Revelation. The Lord Jesus came to him in a vision and gave him these wonderful symbols, these wonderful pictures to give to the church, but more importantly, to give a message of hope and peace to struggling Christians. And that's what makes this book so special. That's what makes it such a fitting message for you and I today, the week after Easter. Because Easter is bold and bright and beautiful, right? Easter fills us with hope and purpose and joy and peace. Easter is wonderful. But the alleluias, the Easter lilies, the Easter outfits, the emotional highs of Easter eventually give way to the reality of Monday morning. When we go back to work, when we go back to school, when we go back to life as normal. And that can be a little disappointing. And what I mean by that is that our world doesn't care about Easter the same way that we do. Right? For us, as Christians, Easter is the bold proclamation that Christ is risen, that he has defeated death. Jesus bursts out of the tomb and he promises that you too will defeat death. You too will conquer the grave. You too will rise again someday. But to be quite frank, the world doesn't really care. To the world, it's almost as if Easter hasn't even happened. And that can leave us discouraged. Christ is risen, but then we turn on the TV and see where this world is going. Christ is risen, but then we remember the challenges, the problems that we face, that our children face in our day-to-day lives. Christ is risen, but then we remember the busy things that we need to do, all the things that we need to get done, the places we need to, the places we need to be, and all the bills that we need to pay. And like a dark storm cloud that rolls in on a beautiful sunny day, 
it ruins everything, right? The brightness of Easter is left instead to be disappointment and darkness. As we look around us at the state of the world, as we look at the state of Christianity, as we look at the state of our own lives, as we look at the storm clouds of the world, we can't help but wonder the same questions as those early Christians. What is God up to? Why aren't things better? And where is Jesus today? And with his words and revelation, in the reading that we heard today, John gives us an answer to our post-Easter blues. John reminds us of a message that we heard last week. Instead of pointing us ahead to better days, instead of telling us that we will overcome, instead of telling us that all of Christianity's problems, all of your problems will be in the rearview rear mirror, John instead points us to a message that we have already heard, a message that we already know, the message that we heard last week for Easter Sunday, Jesus is risen. John points us back to Jesus, Jesus who died as the faithful witness, Jesus who rose from the dead, the firstborn from the dead, Jesus the King of Kings. John reminds us of what Jesus is about to do. He points us ahead to the end. Jesus descending on the clouds in power and glory to judge the world, to judge his enemies, the enemies of Jesus, the ones who pierced him, trembling in fear and mourning. This is Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the A to Z, the first, the last, the one who is ruling all things, the one who created all things, the one who will bring all things to an end. And John's message is clear. Easter might be over, but everything still begins with our risen Savior. The victory that Jesus won on Easter Sunday is still in effect and will be until the last day. And that might be great for us to know as Christians that we will someday rise from the dead, that Jesus will win someday. But where does that leave you and me today? It's easy to get the idea that Jesus is absent or missing, right? We can't touch him, we can't feel him, we can't hold him. It's easy to think that he's gone, right? Jesus died on the cross, Jesus gets put in the grave, he bursts out of the tomb, and then he goes up to heaven, and then he'll come back again soon to bring us home someday. But until that day, we're left to fend for ourselves here on earth. We're left here to watch the house. We're left here to endure the beatings of the world, the suffering that we might endure here in this life. We're left to wait until Jesus will bring us home. Right? As these little Christians in this big world will batten down the hatches of our small churches and hold on for dear life, waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus to come back to take us home. But that's not what John sees. In the vision, in the reading for today, John sees a very different picture. John turns around and he sees seven lampstands. Seven lampstands that represent the church, the Christian church, us as Christians. These lamps aren't extinguished, they aren't hidden. No, they're burning, they're shining. And in the middle of all these lamps, in the middle of all the churches of the world, in the middle of our church, stands Jesus the risen Savior. But this isn't Jesus crucified. This isn't the Jesus who took the lashings and the beatings of this world. No, this is our risen and powerful Savior. Jesus shines with the brightness of the sun. He stands in power and in glory. His eyes burn with fire, intensity, and determination. His feet do not wobble. He stands in burning bronze. He opens his mouth to speak and out of his mouth comes words like a powerful rushing river, like a roaring waterfall. And out of his mouth comes a sword, a violent weapon of destruction and judgment. John sees this picture 
and he falls to the ground, face down in terror, like a dead man. And as he lies there, he feels a comforting hand on his shoulder, and he hears the words of his Savior say, Don't be afraid. And those are the words that our Savior gives to his people, to the early church as they were hunted and persecuted, to John at the end of his life. And these are the words that Jesus gives to you and to me as we go back to a world that doesn't care about Easter. Don't be afraid. It's easy to focus on what's going on in the world. It's easy to see how the world is spiraling out of control. It's easy to see the losing situation that Christians are in at the situations that we ourselves are in this life. But John reminds us to pull back the curtain, to see what he sees, to see reality, to see the truth. Where is Jesus? He's there, standing among the lampstands, walking among his churches. He's at work for us, and he is with us. And that's the comfort that John gives us. It's Jesus who's at work, not us. And that's a good thing, right? Because we are small and weak and frail. But see, Jesus, the one who speaks with power through his word, the rushing water of his word, the sword of his word, the word that we hear here in church every Sunday. We are temporary. We pass from this world But see Jesus, the one who stands in everlasting light, who will never be extinguished, who gives us his own life, who gives us his own glory. Jesus promises that the good news will win. We as people waver and doubt. We become discouraged. But look at our Savior, who stands in feet of bronze, whose eyes burn with determination, with fire. He is the one who brings people to church. He's the one who feeds hungry and lost souls. He's the one who is leading his church leading us until we reach our heavenly home. It's not us who are at work. It's not up to us to keep the church above water. It's not up up to us to slave and toil to make sure that everything is fine once we're gone. It's up to Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and end, the Almighty, the King of Kings. He's the one who's at work for us, for our church. And that's the beautiful reminder that John gives us in the book of Revelation. That's the beautiful reminder that Jesus gives us in these visions. Easter might be over, but his work for us isn't. The Easter lilies, the Easter outfits, the decorations might all be put away. We might be a little more subdued this week. We might be a little tired. We might be even a little emotionally exhausted by what we see in this world. But none of that changes the truth. Where is Jesus? He's still standing with us. He's still walking among the lampstands. He's still guiding us, still working with us, still working for us. Still victorious, still risen, still dangling the keys of death on his finger, reminding and comforting you and me, don't be afraid. Amen.